Welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me today. Glad you guys are here. Hey, if you haven't clicked subscribe or that follow button, go ahead and do so right now. Come out with new episodes every Wednesday morning. You're going to want to check them out. And if you haven't given me that five-star review yet and you love what you're hearing, be sure you go ahead and do that now. We have a great episode lined up today. Of course, this week we have Halloween. Happy Halloween to everybody. I am so excited for it. And of course, we've got a segment dedicated to it today. But first, we're going to start off with a segment called How to Shape Good Behaviors in Your Dog. You know, it's a really important segment on starting with a sit and how we evolve it into getting your dog to sit on the first time every time. Then we'll have our Halloween segment, Trick or Treat, Halloween with your dog. We're going to talk about all the different aspects of, you know, maybe things you wouldn't think about incorporating your dog with Halloween. Then we have our Breed of the Week and Listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the Listener Q&A, keep them coming at me. Email me, questions at speakadogcast.com. Dog-related, animal-related, you name it, send it over my way. But before we get going with today's episode, got to give you that trivia question. And today's question is, what is a group of crows called? Yes, what is a group of crows called? I'll give you the answer to that question in today's podcast somewhere, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's how to shape good behaviors. Now, when we talk about training and behavior, shaping is a concept that, you know, well, we have to go over, and today... I really want to try to keep it simplistic, right? Now we could we could really get into depth in this and start talking psychology and and terminology and we could start, you know, reinforcing successive approximations and stuff like that. But we're we're really I don't want to I don't want to dive off into the dry stuff, you know, the dry psychology side too much. I really want to focus on how shaping good behaviors really applies to the average dog owner. Because it's it's really it's not an overly complicated concept at all by any means, but it's a really important one to understand. Okay, and I'm really I'm going to explain what shaping is sort of broken down in in detail. That's how I kind of want to start here. So I want to go over what it is, what shaping is, how we use shaping with our dogs, and how I want you guys to go about applying it with your dog and why you should. Okay, so all right, so let's let's assume we have a puppy. And let's assume this puppy doesn't know anything. It hasn't been trained. It doesn't know basic commands, no sit, no stay, no light at nothing, right? We've got a blank slate to work with. And we want to start with aiming for low expectations of what behaviors we want to reinforce, right? What behaviors we want to strengthen. And what I mean by that is when you have an animal that doesn't know to sit on command, well, anytime they do sit down, what do you got? Well, you know, what do you do? You know it. You say, oh my gosh, good boy, good sit, right? <laughs> Even if they do it on their own without you asking. You know, we naturally, real, we, we kind of naturally know how to use shaping. We just maybe don't always do it correctly, okay? So you're already trying to target and find that behavior of, of a sit, of a lie down. And, oh, good sit. Oh, good lie down, right? Um, and that's how you begin. Very minimal expectations. When I'm trying to teach the command with it, you know, think about it, guys. If you're leashing up your dog and you're training, sometimes we might use the leash a little bit to try to guide them back into a sit. Maybe we'll take the treat and guide it above their nose, pull it up above their head to to pull them back. And maybe I'm going to take my hand and push down on their butt a little bit, right? 
And then when they sit down, what do we do? Good boy, good girl. And we give them a treat. We reward that. Even though they're not sitting down directly on their own, right? Think about what the end result, what we really want is when we say sit, they sit down. We don't have to do anything physical. We don't have to say sit 50 times, right? We want to, what we want in the end is when I say sit, they sit. But in the beginning, when we're first starting, the dog doesn't know that. So we have to keep our expectations low and we have to really target and go after and strengthen anything that even remotely resembles a sit, right? Even if it's me having to physically get them there. But if we're, if we're two months into training the dog, right? Let's say we've been working on this for two months and the dog still requires us to physically put them in a sit, use the collar, whatever. And then we're still rewarding that. Guess what you're actually shaping? You're actually shaping that full behavior with your dog of the dog actually battling with you and fighting with you. Then they sit down, then they get the treat. It's not your dog being stubborn. It's literally, that's, that's the pattern you created. If you never raise your expectations from that initial starting point, and you just keep reinforcing that same pattern of behaviors to get to the sit, then the dog literally thinks, this is the physical routine I run through to get my treat in the end. Or we could also look at it even simpler of just the vocal. How many of you out there, raise your hands, you're probably guilty, I'm sorry. <laughs> How many of you out there go, sit, 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 sit. And then the dog finally does it on sit, 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 sit. That was five. And then the dog finally does it on the fifth time. And it takes five every time because you're literally physically creating that pattern. You're not rewarding them until they sit that fifth time. You're not getting them to sit until they sit that fifth time. So you have nothing to reward. And again, if you never, if you never shape, shape away from that and create higher expectations and reinforce and strengthen that behavior when it gets faster, and th- this is what we're going to break this down and get into this today, then you have shaped that behavior of it taking five times to get them to sit, right? You know, I I see it a lot with my clients, unfortunately, where we don't even realize that we've said sit four times. And then once the dog sat, we we give them a treat. I'm like, no, (laughs) we can't do that. Again, if it was day one, if it was day one, starting with that dog, and it took four times to get him to sit. And I I don't like to go sit, 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 sit. As I've talked about before, I want you to go sit. Then maybe another one, sit, right? You see how long I'm taking there? Let your dog process and understand. Little side note there. Don't just go sit, sit, sit. Lie down, lie down, lie down. Hey, stay. No, stay, stay, stay. None of that. <laughs> okay. Slow it down. Sit. Hey, hey, sit. Maybe redirect and then ask again, right? Okay. So we're not going to go off on, the, on, on that, that, that boat today. But again, there's this whole shaping thing. It's so important that you understand that you know where you start with that behavior and where you in? Look, it's not uncommon that a lot of trainers keep training logs with dogs, right? Training log, a training log with your dog. I love it. <laughs> you guys should probably do that at home, especially housebreaking. I'll get another side note here. Housebreaking, guys, you really should be keeping a log. If you have a puppy and you're doing housebreaking, you should have a written log of what time they go, what time they eat, how much, what time they last drank. Uh, what time they last peed, pooped, all that stuff is really important because if you can start to disseminate a pattern from it, then that's how we fix behaviors. And look, it's no different with even teaching a sit, a stay, teaching these basic commands, teaching anything in training requires shaping a behavior, right? 
And if you can keep a log of, hey, let's say day one, he was listening on average somewhere, you know, my dog, somewhere between three and five times for the sit. Day two, it, it it's between like two and four times. And then before you know it, you're actually, oh, look at that. I can actually see in my log the pattern of that behavior breaking down and, and going the right direction, right? So keep a log. That's a really good suggestion uh, to, to be able to shape behaviors and have a tangible way to measure it, to look at it, to reference it, to find patterns, okay? But you can sort of, you, you know, we're all human, guys. You get lost sometimes in your training and you don't even realize I've spent two weeks <laughs> saying sit six times. Why is my dog still not listening to me on the first sit? Because you physically created that pattern and you may not even realize it. Because, you know, guys, you can't, you can't be on top of everything. That's why we, my, my wife is probably pulling her hair out right now when I'm about to say this. You have to write things down um, <laughs> because I'm really guilty. I'm terrible uh, about writing things down that I need to. And it's not good. <laughs> I'll be honest. It's, it's one, of my, one of my many faults, I'm sure, um, that I, I don't write enough down. And sometimes I forget things and it's not good, especially now that I'm getting pulled in more and more directions, you know, um, busier you get and uh, more things you try to accomplish. And I, you know, hey, the older you get, I'm not old yet. I'm not not throwing myself under that bus, but <laughs> you're not as good at remembering everything. Um, and especially when it comes to training, guys, look, training, training is all about patterns. And that's what shaping is when you think about it, right? We start with a pattern that's broad, and then we narrow it down to one sit, one lie down, right? Um, and again, if you can have a measurable way, a written down way to, to see it, uh, I think it makes it a lot easier. A lot of us out there are visual learners too. So not only having the evidence of, of being able to back it up, but having that visual for you, I think can go a long way. Okay. So, um, all right, let's, let's, let's get back into it. So basically you guys, you know, when it comes down to it, you have to look at shaping as you have to change your expectations and evolve your expectations as you train your dog. Your expectations should go up and up and up. When we're little kids, I mean, think about school, guys. That's what school is. I don't have the same expectations for a sixth grader than we do a kindergartner, right? I mean, that's just, that would be absurd. Um, and it's no different. If I have a 10-week-old dog versus a 10-month-old dog, there's no way I want to have the same expectations for them. I have to start with a generalized concept of, hey, that's a, that's an acceptable thing to reward as a sit. But then you got to start asking yourself. You have to start asking yourself as you're is that an acceptable behavior? Is that what I want to reinforce and strengthen? Have I reinforced and strengthened this version of this behavior 20 times before? If the answer is yes, then take your expectation up a notch. Okay. Um, you know, actually, I was what inspired this segment today. I've wanted to talk about shaping for a while, but really kind of pushed it toward this podcast is I actually had a, a conversation with one of my clients today. And we, you know, we were, we were, we were actually talking about something completely different with training with her dog. And I noticed there's been a little bit of a pattern. She comes to doggy day camp weekly. And I noticed there's a pattern when the dog gets out of the car, she's very excited to come to doggy day camp, which is good, but we still have to keep it under control. Right. And, um, sometimes she'll ask for a sit from her dog and her dog is a little distracted and won't listen. And then she'll listen on the third, fourth, maybe fifth time. And my owner still, uh, my owner, excuse me, my client, her owner is still rewarding that fifth time sit behavior. And I pointed that out to her. I said, Hey, I'm seeing a pattern now, right? Because I can see it week after week. I'm seeing this pattern. It's very clear. 
that you're asking for a sit and she's not responding on that first time. Now, part of it is the overstimulation of everything going on around us. We have a, a pickup spot out in public, a lot of cars going by, people, all kinds of things going on. But it, it shouldn't, it really shouldn't be an excuse for your dog not listening on the first sit, right? And so that's what we discussed. That's what we talked about in shaping a behavior. And so I said, look, you know, we've, we've been working together for a while. Her dog's awesome. I love her dog. She's really come such a long way from where we started. Uh, you know, and look, I'll be honest. I didn't, I did, I didn't love her, love, love her dog at first. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, but seriously, we had some behavioral issues. We really had to work out. She was a rescue dog. She came with some baggage and she's doing really just phenomenal. I mean, you, I, I, I would say I wouldn't even recognize her the way she plays and socializes with other dogs. Now, the way she walks so well on a leash, uh, all these wonderful things that she's been, been doing now. Uh, but anyway, getting back to it, you know, I, again, we, we've been training for a while. So I told my client, you've, you've got to up those expectations. You have to shape that behavior further along and you can't accept that fifth sit. If she sits on the fifth time, she doesn't get anything. Now I'll kind of give you the example. So like I said, she was sort of kind of uh, not unfocused. We're, we're standing there on leash. She's trying to get her attention. She's trying to get her to sit. She's not sitting. And then finally she did on the fifth time. And I said, wait, withhold the treat. Cause I could see she was reaching for the treat pouch, which I love because my client has her treat pouch on always. This client's always prepared, always ready to go. And I love it. And I really appreciate that. Um, and so does her dog. <laughs> uh, anyway, so she sat down and I said, well, don't reward that yet. I said, let's, let's, let's talk about that. And we talked about what happened and you could even see her dog was a little antsy and even didn't want to sit still. I said, look at her going back to the last episode. Look at her state of mind right now. She's really amped up. Is that what you want to reward? Of course she said, well, no, it's a good point, right? Um, I said, give, give her a minute. And when you know it, about 10 seconds later, her dog goes, lets out a big yawn, and you can even see her just relax. So she pivots her, her body weight a little bit and relaxes a little more. You can see the whole thing. I said, now give her the treat. Because you have to think about what you're rewarding. What state of mind are you rewarding? How many repetitions did it take for me to get that behavior? Do I really want to reward that? Okay, this is a really important detail because I hear it a lot when I'm first starting with clients. We're only a couple sessions in and that, you know, I'll say, oh, do you really want to reward that? And they'll go, well, he sat down, didn't he? Yeah, but he did it on the fifth time and he's really amped up. Do I want a reward sitting on the fifth time I ask? And do I want to reward an accelerated state of mind, an overexcited state of mind? And the answer is no, no, you don't. And wouldn't you know it, once we waited for her dog to calm down today, once she calmed down and then she gave her the treat, she didn't pop back up again. Now, that's another thing. That's another thing. If your dog's really amped up and they don't listen on sit until the fifth time, and then they finally sit down and you reward it right away and they're really amped up, nine times out of ten, that dog pops right back up. Because you know what? They got their treat. Their brain is too amped. And they don't want to sit still anymore. Hey, I got what I needed. I'm done. Because you're not actually rewarding relaxed behavior, relaxed state of mind. Okay. And I know I'm kind of tying in last week's episode with this one. Like if you haven't gone back and listened to last week's episode, A Dog State of Mind, it really is an important episode. It really is because we talk about a dog state of mind and how that affects your training and it affects every single aspect of it. So these are really kind of two that can go hand in hand here because shaping behaviors requires that you understand what your dog's state of mind is and what you're rewarding and what you're shaping. Okay, what you're choosing to reinforce and strengthen, right? So 
again, you know, my client, thank you to her. You know, she really, she influenced today's episode. And honestly, I have to say thank you to her just in general, because she's, she's works so hard. She is fully dedicated, her and her husband, they're fully dedicated to their dog. And they put in a lot of time and a lot of effort. And you can see the behavior changing, not just because of what I've, you know, what I've done working with her dog, but what they continue to do. And that's an important detail as well, guys. Behavior is continual. It's a continuation and it never stops. And I really just want to commend her because she she does phenomenal. Like I said, she's always got her treat pouch on. She always has the right tools for the dog ready to go. Uh, there, there's never a doubt in my mind or never a question in my mind of this client's not going to be ready today <laughs> or she's not going to be prepared or nope, because that, that never happens. Um, and she listens to the podcast regularly. So thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate it. Um, but anyway, so guys getting back to it, you know, shaping behaviors, it, it really starts with knowing where your expectations are and you know, look, I, rules are arbitrary. Rules are arbitrary. Whatever your rules are, your rules are for your dog, you know, that's acceptable for you. I may disagree with some of your rules, but you know what? They're your rules and it's your dog. And it's not my place to really tell you what the rules should or shouldn't be because it's your dog unless you hire me. Then it is my job. Um, <laughs> but uh, but in all seriousness, yeah, you have to understand what your expectations are. If the dog doesn't know what a sit, a stay, a lie down is, then sure, I'm going to lower what my expectation of that behavior is to be able to reinforce and strengthen it. But if you've been working on that behavior for a few weeks, few months, you shouldn't be rewarding the same kind of behavior you rewarded on day one as you should on two, you know, weeks into it. Okay. Shape these behaviors into what your real expectations are. If your real expectation is you want your dog to sit on the first time you request it, then start only accepting. If it takes five times the first few times, great. But then start only accepting it the fourth time, the third time, until you can shape it down to I say sit and they say and they sit, right? Training behavior is all what you accept behaviorally as an owner on all what you strengthen and reinforce as an owner, right? All goes back to the basic concepts. And again, I said, I wouldn't want to get too much on the psychology side today, but I can't ignore the basic concepts of psychology of reinforcement and punishment. Okay, have to have an understanding of that in order to apply this. <laughs> so definitely want to check that out, guys. But shaping behaviors starts with an understanding of behavior. Get yourself there. Start raising your expectations for what you want out of your dog, and you'll be shaping good behaviors in no time. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services, such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet.
Next on Speak Your Dogcast, Trick or Treat, Halloween with your dogs. Halloween is a fun holiday to me. It's one of my favorites. It's not really, you know, related as a national holiday, a religious holiday. It's just a fun holiday. And whether you like horror, scary movies, or maybe you just like movies like Hocus Pocus and Nightmare Before Christmas, Halloween really has something to offer for everybody. And, you know, my wife and I, when we used to live in Orlando, we threw a huge, awesome Halloween party. I loved it every year. I looked forward to it. I would decorate the yard and lights and fog and decorations. And, And of course, for our party, we had the inside of the house all decked out. And it was a great time. But, you know, we had a lot of food out for this party. And we had a lot of candy out for this party because it's Halloween. And we have to be careful about our dogs. And not just our dogs, you know, my client dogs too. Halloween isn't like a, you know, I'm not, I'm not taking off for, for Halloween. <laughs> I would still have dogs boarding with me, dogs in boot camp with me. And so, of course, when I'm throwing this party, when I've got candy out and all that kind of stuff, I've got to be really careful. I have to be mindful and cautious about what I'm doing. And it's no different for you guys. You know, the whole month of October, most people have a couple bags of candy lying around the house and you need to be aware of where that candy is. Okay. Um, you know, I, I don't, we're not, we're not, I don't want to start on like a down note here, but you know what, why not? We'll, we'll start with the, Hey, warning and shaking my finger at you. Uh, <laughs> and then we'll get to the more fun stuff, but no, no, in all seriousness, guys, though, there, there is, there's some dangers to Halloween for dogs and that, that comes in the form of food. It really does. There's a lot of chocolate, a lot of candy being thrown around. And of course we all know chocolate's really bad for dogs, especially dark chocolate and especially baking chocolate. Those are the two that are definitely going to be more toxic, but milk chocolate's not necessarily any better. Okay. So we all know that chocolate's not good for dogs, candy in general. And you know, the first thing we're going to talk about with food and candy and all this stuff, the artificial sweetener xylitol. Now we've talked about this before, but this is a big warning. Every dog owner, really, you need to be aware of this. Xylitol, it's spelled X-Y-L-I-O-T or excuse me, I-T-O-L. Let's try that again. X-Y-L-I-T-O-L, xylitol. Xylitol has made its way as an artificial sweetener into many different candies and foods. And xylitol is very toxic for dogs. Really not good stuff. It can actually kill them. Okay, so this is this is a serious point uh, we've got to make and we've got to talk about. Now, the other thing with the xylitol side note that you know, I talked about before, it has also found its way into peanut butter. How many of us out there use peanut butter as a treat for our dogs or maybe a way to administer medications for our dogs? Peanut butter, yes. The easiest way to avoid xylitol in your peanut butter is by only buying natural peanut butter. All the major brands, Jif, Peter Pan, uh, Skippy, they all make a natural peanut butter. You'll actually see it on the label. It'll say the word natural somewhere on there. And then if you see that word natural and you turn and you look at the ingredients, it's going to only have about three or four ingredients in the peanut butter. It's going to be peanuts, sugar, uh, usually some kind of oil, and maybe one other thing, right? When you look at the other peanut butters that don't say natural, that's not the case. And many times, guys, even on these major brands, you will find the word xylitol in there. Very, very bad stuff for dogs. So I, I really, I preach it. I need all dog owners to be aware. Tell your friends, tell your family, be aware of xylitol. It's in peanut butter, it's in candies. Anywhere an artificial sweetener can be used, there's potential for xylitol being there. So please, guys, please be careful with your dogs. That's the first thing we got to talk about, you know, the food side of it. 
Like I said, everybody's got bags of candy lying around, so please be aware of where they are. Make sure you're keeping them out of reach of your dog. Okay, nothing really more to say about it. That's it. <laughs> okay, please, 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 please be aware. I know when we're throwing these awesome Halloween parties, we get distracted, we're having fun, we're having a good time. Look, if you know your dog might grab something, the easiest way to avoid it, guys, maybe just lock your dog up in the bedroom for the night, put them in their crate for the party. Not a bad idea. Better safe than sorry. Now, personally, I liked to use those opportunities as training opportunities. I would bring dogs out and teach them to leave the table of, of you know, of food alone. Teach them to not jump on the gas. Take take it take a take it upon myself. I've got like you know how many people here that I can use for training and all this food. So you can set that up as a training opportunity, but you have to be aware and you have to be engaged in working with your dog. So you know, uh, something to think about. Now, if your dog does get a hold of something they should not have. Okay, you're obviously, you know, you're going to want to have your veterinary information on hand, maybe an emergency vet. If it's trick or treating, it's Halloween, it's probably going to be after hours. So always make sure you know the closest emergency vet to you. Another great thing to have, and I'm going to give you this right now, ASPCA Poison Control Center. They have an 800 number that you can actually call and I'm going to give you that number. It's 888-426-4435. Right, anybody in the U.S., you guys can call them. Uh, I'll give you that number one more time: eight eight eight. You should program this in your phone: eight 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 four two six four four three five. Really good number to have in there. And again, if your dog gets a hold of something, you should immediately call them. They'll be able to coach you through it a bit and give you more information on what you should do. So good, good uh, piece of information to have right there. Now, besides the food, another thing you really should think about, guys, wires, decorations, right? There's a lot of lighting and stuff like that that goes into Halloween, too, not just Christmas, right? We use a lot of, I I use a lot of lighting for Halloween. (laughs) So it's important that your dogs not be able to, if you have a chewer, make sure you're keeping wires out of reach, okay? That can be a deadly thing. Maybe an obvious thing to some, but, you know, you're just putting up decorations. You're not really thinking too much about it. Make sure wires are out of reach of your dogs if they're chewers, especially. Okay. Um, then we get to the more fun side of it, right? We want to talk about costumes, <laughs> dressing our dogs up. Now, look, if you've listened to my podcast before, maybe many episodes ago, I've talked about clothing and dogs. I'll be honest, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of dressing dogs up. It's one thing. If it's a logical, logistical reason, you have a dog who is susceptible to cold weather, you live in a cold environment, you need to keep your dog warm, put a sweater on him. Of course, right? I have no problem with that. And that's not what I'm talking about. Um, Look, I I know some of you are going to disagree with me, and I'm sorry that you do. But you know what? We're not going to agree on everything. And that's, that's perfectly fine. But to me personally, and for that matter, professionally, my opinion is dogs are dogs. They don't need clothing, and the reason that people like to dress them up is for themselves. Sometimes that's okay, right? Hey, look, we do that with our with, with kids too, right? You dress your kids up in cute clothing so you can get a good picture, and it's not for the kid, it's for you. <laughs> and that's all right. That's all right sometimes. Um, so look, I, I will say, if it's your dog, teach his own, guys. You want to dress your dog up? I don't recommend it, but hey, that's up to you. What I will say is if dressing your dog up, if dressing your dog up stresses your dog out, please don't do it. You know, I ask you really, just please don't, don't do it. You shouldn't do anything that stresses your dog out, right? Uh, with the exception of you're trying to maybe push them through a behavioral issue that they, they get stressed about and trying to make them not stressed in the end. That's one thing. 
You can do the same thing for a costume. You could try to get your dog used to the costume, take it slowly, use treats, reward them when you put it on. If you wanna go that route, again, by all means, teach his own, at least you're gonna do it. At least you're training, you know, that's the way I see it. At least you're desensitizing your dog to the, to the um, clothing and you're rewarding them for it. And so they'll start associating it as a good thing. I, I still don't like it, I'm still not for it. That's just me. Um, <laughs> my, my wife gives me a hard time and says I should loosen up about that one, but I don't know. Um, so again, guys, if you want to dress up your dogs, teach us up. What I will say, again, if you're going to do it for Halloween or for a Halloween party, take your time with it. Don't, don't throw the costume on your dog for the very first time the night of the party. No. Spend a couple weeks warming them up to it. Take your time and use it as a training opportunity. That's the way I prefer to see it. That's the way I'd prefer that you do it if you're going to, okay? Now, with that said, be aware. If your dog's a chewer, again, if your dog's a chewer, let's not put a costume on them that has a lot of dangling parts that they could easily grab really quick, chew, and swallow, right? Do be mindful that we're not going to give our dogs anything that could potentially harm them, okay? So maybe something that seems straightforward, but just make sure you're thinking about that, okay? Now, if you want to take your dogs out trick-or-treating with you, let's say we have this cute costume, we're going to put the dog in the costume and it matches the kid's costume. That's adorable. It is. <laughs> and if you've done it correctly and your dog doesn't get stressed out by it and you want to take your dog out trick-or-treating, you know what? All good. But do be careful. Trick-or-treating, you know, think about it. There's a lot going on the night of trick-or-treating. There's a lot of noise, a lot of stimulus, people walking around with costumes, people walking around in masks. It can be intimidating to your dog sometime, sometimes and be a little scary. Not every dog is going to be like that, but a lot of dogs are definitely not going to know what to do with that. They've never experienced, hey, walking outside and oh my God, there's goblins everywhere, <laughs> right? Your dog normally walks outside and Everything's normal. So just that change can throw them off. It may not even be the necessarily the person behind the mask, but the fact that it's different. Um, well, we're not going to get into that. Um, so something to think about is, is desensitizing your dog to costumes and masks, not necessarily putting them on your dog, but just being around them. Go buy a $5 rubber mask up at the party store, bring it home, put it on, and, and try to and see what your dog does. Obviously, I don't want you to purposefully try to scare them, but you can introduce them to it slowly, use treats, and that way when they go outside night of Halloween, night of trick-or-treating, it's not so bad, right? It's not so stressful. But I don't, you know, you may not have thought of that, that maybe we should try to desensitize them to the chaos of Halloween night before Halloween night, okay? So think about that in, in, in the ways you can approach that ahead of time. You know, Halloween is obviously not a dog-centric holiday, but we can incorporate our dogs in a healthy way. Um, you know, Going back to the to the Halloween party for a sec, or excuse me, trick or tr uh, Halloween night for a second. I really like using Halloween night with trick or treaters as an opportunity to teach my dog the front door exercise, like how many you know hundreds potentially of times in one evening. Uh, if you live in a really high traffic, high trick or treating area, you can go over the front door teaching your dog to sit, stay, and you answer the door, walk up to the door, you're able to give the kids candy, turn around, close the door, and your dog still doesn't move. Take Halloween night as an opportunity to train your dog. I can't stress it enough. What a great time. How often, I mean, how often are you going to get people walking up to your door every five seconds? Okay. And what you'll, what'll end up happening. And I've done this. I've done this multiple Halloweens, um, where I have a dog in training. I have a dog in boot camp, and I just teach them to sit and stay at the door. And by the end of the night, they don't even care. Like the doorbell's ringing and they're like, oh, wolf. 
uh, it's just another trick or treater. Okay, whatever. And what we're doing is we're desensitizing them to the overexcitement of the door. We're taking away that overexcitement. Halloween is like the best night ever to to work with your dog on the front door and take away that overexcitement because there is no other time you're going to get that rinse and repeat repetition of that. You know, um, so I think it's a, try try doing that Halloween night. I highly recommend this year. You know, turning it into a training opportunity with your dog. Okay. So like I said, you know, it's not dog centric, but there's so many things we can do Halloween, uh, on Halloween and at Halloween parties and all these things to get our dogs used to things, to, to get them over maybe things that they'd be fearful of. Uh, but the first and foremost that we want to talk about that we talked about today, rather that I want you to take away. Don't forget guys, chocolate candy. They can be very toxic for your dogs, especially, especially if they have that artificial sweetener xylitol in them, be very careful. Guys, go Google it, go check it out. Please go look it up, do your research. Make sure, go to your pantry right now, pull out your peanut butter jar, make sure it doesn't have xylitol in it. If it does, and you have a dog in your house, I really recommend just tossing that peanut butter and going and buying a natural, a jar of natural peanut butter, okay? Got to just got to do that again. If your dog does happen to get a hold of something dangerous that they shouldn't have and they've eaten it, something potentially poisonous or toxic, you can always call your emergency vet. But don't forget you have the option to call the ASPCA Poison Control Center. Don't forget that number is 888-426-4435. Put that in your phone right now. Uh, Don't forget to also, of course, keep decorations, wires, those kind of things out of reach of your puppies, your dogs, especially if they're chewers. And costumes, uh, y'all know my feelings on that. (laughs) If you're going to do it to each his own, do it in a way that doesn't stress out your dog, right? Do it in a way that you can get them used to it before Halloween. If you're having those Halloween parties, make sure you're keeping all that food out of reach from your dogs. You can also turn it into training opportunities with your dogs. And of course, Halloween night, what an awesome night to be able to work with your dog in the front door and desensitizing them to the overexcitement, okay? So I want you all to go out there and have you know a ton of fun. Like I said, Halloween is one of my favorite holidays. It's amazing. It's a great time to just kind of, you know, put on costumes, eat some candy, and enjoy. So I encourage you guys, get out there and have a wonderful, fun Halloween. But as always, be mindful of your dogs and be safe out there. The answer to today's trivia question What is a group of crows called? It's a murder. Yes, an apt question for our Halloween episode. Now, this is based out of folklore because ravens and crows are scavengers and they were generally associated with dead bodies, battlefields, and cemeteries. And it was thought when they were circling in large numbers above sites where either animals or people were, well, then death was soon to follow. Next up on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. This week's Breed of the Week is the Belgian Malinois. Now, the Belgian Malinois is a member of the herding group. Males come in from 60 to 80 pounds with females at 40 to 60 pounds. A smart, loyal, and hardworking dog, the Belgian Malinois is an amazingly versatile breed that really loves their humans. A bond with this dog is hard to break once it's been established. Now, not only does this dog want a job, but it wants a job working alongside its owner. They are strong, lean, but a powerful breed. This is definitely not a dog for everyone. Not given a job, they can become frustrated and very destructive. They will not do well in an apartment setting and are not for the first-time dog owner. 
But with plenty of exercise, stimulation, and firm and consistent training, the Belgian Malinois will be a best friend for life. Now, Belgian Malinois tend to be a hardy and healthy breed. Responsible uh, breeders, they'll screen for certain eye disorders, and owners should always be aware of hip and elbow issues that could come up. Kept in good health, these dogs can live to be 14 to 16 years old. The Belgian Malinois were first bred in the northwestern corner of Belgium in the late 1800s. They were one of four sheepdogs being bred in Belgium, and in some countries, these four dogs are actually considered only one breed, being called the Belgian Sheepdog. While they do bear a striking resemblance to the German Shepherd, they actually have a different head and longer and finer bone legs than German Shepherds do. Now, this breed has long been known for its ability uh, to herd, and they were originally bred for their working abilities and drive, with far less of an emphasis on specific looks and other fads that were popular with other dog breeds at the time. And by the turn of the century, sheep herding was a dying industry, but breeders and lovers of the breed found that the Malinois could easily excel at any task that they gave it. Now, they were used as guard dogs, police and military dogs, and more. When World War I broke out, they, uh, the dogs were actually given different jobs, right? They were used as messenger jobs, Red Cross dogs, and even ambulance cart dogs. Now, the Belgian Malinois, they made their way into the United States in 1911. The breed really took off in popularity until the outbreak of World War II. Now, it was then that the importation of European breeding stocks ceased. And it wasn't until the 1960s that the breed started to take off again. Now, the Belgian Malinois was officially recognized by the AKC in 1959. And one of the most famous Belgian Malinois is Conan. Yes, Conan is a member of the Special Operations Military Working Dogs in the United States Delta Force. Now, he's most famous for having been part of the Berisha raid in Syria, which resulted in the death of then-ISIS leader Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi in October 2019. Now, he chased Baghdadi down a tunnel when the terrorist leader detonated a suicide bomb, killing himself and harming Conan in the process. Now, luckily, Conan made a full recovery from his injuries, and he is right back in the line of duty, proving just how tough and durable and loyal these dogs are. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Anne from Palm City, Florida. Anne says, my neighbors have put up inflatable decorations in their yards for Halloween, and my dog growls at them. And it's only going to get worse with inflatable turkeys, and then, of course, inflatables for Christmas decorations. What can I do to get her over this behavior? You know, the good news, Anne, is that you've got a lot of time to work on this. <laughs> it sounds like you've got at least two or three months of inflatable um, decorations in people's yards. And I like to look at that as a training opportunity. Let's, <laughs> let's start there. Let's view this as a training opportunity instead of something our dog is fearful about, right? We're going to work her through it. Okay, so the easiest way to start working through this is always have your treat pouch on you, right? We always want to have our treats on us, and we want to desensitize our dogs to something like this. This is a scenario where it's a matter of desensitizing them to this stimulus, right? Now, I, I kind of want to break this down in a little bit of a detail, like details here. Let's, let's talk about this for a second. Um, your dog is growling at this inflatable thing, right? What your dog in that moment is trying to accomplish, what, the, what they want 
is that inflatable thing to go away, right? It's like, oh, scary thing. Grr, I want you to go away. That's what they're trying to accomplish. So what most owners end up doing, and I, you know, I don't know if you're doing this, but uh, what most owners end up doing is avoiding the inflatable. They're actually giving the dog exactly what they want in a roundabout way. Okay. And what we need to do is instead of walking away and avoiding the inflatable, we need to go toward it. We need to make that dog, we need to desensitize that dog to that trigger. Okay. So in order to punish a behavior like this, right, something like growling, I don't necessarily want to yank and correct the dog. Sometimes maybe we might use a collar correction, but what I prefer to actually start with is using a different form of punishment. Punishment is anything an animal works to avoid. Okay, so, and stick with me here, guys. If the dog is growling because they want the inflatable to go away, let's think about this. What would be a form of punishment to that dog? Not going away, right? Not taking that inflatable away. Staying near that inflatable is going to be a form of punishment to the dog. So that's how we can actually get the growling behavior to decrease because what's going to happen is the dog's going to go, and instead of keep walking, instead of keeping walking past the inflatable and walking away from it, the dog's going to go, and I'm going to stop moving and stay right there by the inflatable. And now the dog's going to go, ah, oh, crap, I growled and it didn't work. <laughs> the inflatable is still there. And when, wouldn't you know it, the dog's going to stop growling at some point. And once they stop growling, I'm going to have my treat pouch on me and go, good job, good girl, and reward that behavior and strengthen that behavior. So we have to break it down here. I have to tell the dog what I don't want them to do or punish the behavior, right? That's the way we get behavior to decrease is through punishment. And punishment doesn't have to be anything horrible, right? Just staying near the inflatable is going to be our form of punishment here, guys. Okay. And then again, once she relaxes and stops growling, we're going to reinforce and strengthen that relaxed behavior. Okay. If you do this every day for a couple days and you spend an extra 10, 15 minutes just hanging out by that inflatable decoration, your neighbors might think you're a little nuts, but <laughs> hey, who cares what they think? You're training your dog and that's all that matters. Um, but yeah, hang out by the decoration, wait till she relaxes and then reward it. That's really what it comes down to. Sometimes a little easier said than done. Uh, sometimes it's going to take some redirections and some working on the focus, right? Keeping the focus on you and not necessarily on the inflatable. But really when it comes down to it, it's pretty simplistic. I don't want to walk away from the inflatable when the dog growls because that would be rewarding their behavior. I want to stick around by the inflatable, try to get them to relax. Once the dog does relax, I want to reward it. Okay. The more we can reward the relaxation, the more likely your dog is going to want to relax in front of the inflatable. And before you know it, it'll be no big deal that you can just walk right by it. Next question. This comes from Peter from Jacksonville, Florida. Peter says, my neighbor's dogs are obnoxious. Anytime I let my dogs out of my own backyard, their dogs go nuts. They bark, they growl, and they just go crazy the entire time we're out there. And there's a fence between us, but that doesn't stop the noise. Even my dogs are over it. They don't even look at them when they go out there anymore. What can I do? Peter, this is a tough question. You know, this is part of the reason I don't live in suburbia anymore. <laughs> you can't control your neighbors. And even worse, you can't control your neighbor's dogs. Um, look, I, 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 honesty, I don't really have a full answer for this. I'll give you a couple tips and things like, yeah, but the easiest way to solve this is to move. <laughs> That's the easiest solution if you want the truth. Uh, but no, look, 
this is a tough thing because you can't control your neighbor's dogs. And there's sometimes there's just not much you can do about it. Now, let's, I'm, I'm going to maybe guess that your fence is either a chain link fence or a wrought iron fence, maybe because it sounds like these dogs are really intense. So my guess is they can see you. A lot of times that visual is what really amps it up. Hearing you is one thing, but hearing you and seeing you and smelling you, that can really send them into it. So if you can put a hedge between you and your neighbor, some kind of uh, you know bush or something to block the view or change the fencing out to something that completely blocks the view as well. Those are two good options that might help, but may not necessarily help. I've, I've, look, I've had clients in the past where all it takes is the dog being outside and hearing them and they go nuts, you know? So it doesn't necessarily, the visual may not fix that problem, but that's just one suggestion I can give you. Uh, you know, the next suggestion is try to be a nice neighbor as much as your neighbor may not be nice to you. Uh, try being a nice neighbor and going, you know, look, I, I will say this. A plate of cookies, a plate of homemade chocolate chip cookies goes a long way <laughs> toward building some bridges. Okay, I've learned that from my mother-in-law, uh, and it's very true. So homemade plate of delicious cookies, go over, knock on your neighbor's door, and just have a talk with them. You know, look, guys, we're all, we're all stressed out right now. We're all going through a lot of stuff. Everybody is. Everybody in their own ways. Um and so maybe just try to be a good neighbor, even if they're not being the best of neighbors, and go over there and have a talk with them about their dogs, okay? That is where I prefer you you would start with it. And if all else fails, hey, maybe you have noise ordinances, whether it be with your neighborhood, the city, the county, and at least maybe certain times a day, you can do something about it then. But, you know, look, a lot of times, like I said, you can't control your neighbors, you can't control your dogs, and I wish I had better advice to give you, but... It sounds like at least the best thing, you know, your dogs at least ignore it and don't engage in it. Hey, that's a win. Uh, not the win you're looking for, but it's a win. Hey, may, maybe give them a, uh, you know, a link to my podcast. <laughs> Teach them to train their dogs. Maybe that, that'll that help. I doubt it, but you know. <laughs> so Peter, I wish you luck. I wish I could give you better advice on this, but hey, unfortunately, that's about all I got on that one. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you guys so much for listening in. Don't forget you can find me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Have a wonderful, happy, fun, and most importantly, safe Halloween. And don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. <laughs>